When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies, like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at the Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey everybody, welcome to Car Stuff. My name is Scott Benjamin. I'm the auto editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. My name is Ben Bolin. I hang out with Scott. I write some videos. I also work here. He does some stuff. I do some things. Mm -hmm. I've been some places, man. I've seen some stuff. And we've actually seen some pretty crazy stuff. We have. Yeah, that's right. And this is uh, maybe one of the crazier things that I've seen recently. Yes. And you showed these You showed these guys to me. And uh, it's funny. I, I've just got to get this out of the way so I don't accidentally spend 15 minutes rambling about it. Okay. It's funny because I remember uh, seeing toys that were built this way uh. and as a child thinking, that's ridiculous. There is no way that would work. These people are condescending. <laughs> yeah, and what's funny is there's a new toy now that uh, – well, not new, but a few years old that is exactly the same. Weird. I know. So shall we dive into it here? Let's dive into it. Let's talk about screw-driven vehicles. Yes, yes. And as a matter of fact, this is one that I just stumbled upon on YouTube. Yeah. Because uh, I, I, I really did. I was just – Kind of messing around, trying to look. I was looking up all different kinds of things. You know how you know how it is on YouTube when you're, yeah. you're searching like, all right, Bugatti Veyron top speed run, and then you mm. then you find like you're looking at uh, someone who's making a Pikes Peak run, mm. and, and then you find sidebar. yeah, and then everything you know, all the related videos, and, mm. and soon enough you're off on a, a completely different tangent. And this one is something really unusual, and I don't I don't even know why I clicked on it, but I did. It's called the Fordson Snow Machine. And we're talking about a vehicle from the, I'm going to say mid-1920s. Yeah, 20s. Okay, mid-1920s, because I've seen dates that range from 1924 to 1929 mm -hmm. on this thing, 1924, 26, 29. Um, it's, it's a really, really unusual vehicle, isn't it? Yes. I mean, this is strange. Yes, um, it's a, it, picture this. It's a it's a tractor, an uh -huh. old, old-time tractor, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a second, but it's a tractor... That has almost like pontoons underneath, like on a on a pontoon boat, mm -hmm. but they are screw shaped. They have uh, you know the um, uh, the spiral screw pattern, like an auger. An auger. That's a that's probably a, the better way to say it. It's like two augers underneath this thing that are that are horizontal, mm -hmm. 
and that is how this thing moves itself over the ground. This is really, really odd. Let, let's let's hold on uh, for the listeners who are going, what? I know. Because that's what I did. Yeah, until you saw it, right? <laughs> yeah, because sometimes uh, we're, I, you know, I, I guess there's no other way to say it in case people didn't know. Most of the people who work here are kind of nerdy. Mm-hmm. And so we get excited about stuff like this. Yes. And uh, when you came up to me, Scott, and you were and you were saying, "Hey, wait, hey, let's check this out," or I came by your desk or something. Yeah, you stopped by yeah. my desk, and I was looking at this. Yeah, and then we both went into nerd mode because these things still. I've read the I've read the design. I even looked at pictures of one of the patents. Still somewhere in my head, I have a difficult time figuring out how these things move. Yeah, they, they and they do move. They and they move real well. They move really well, extremely well, On and. Certain surfaces. Yeah, that's right. On certain surfaces, that's right. Because because we're talking about a snow vehicle. Yes. Mainly, mm-hmm. uh, but I think that it could also have applications for um, you know dirt, grass, and mud, mud, mm-hmm. you know, just muck. You know, like a mossy or not mossy, like a uh, uh, swampy type environment. I've, yeah, I got you. I've, I've got something for you. Oh, later. great. Okay, yeah. good, good. Um, but really, this thing it it was developed to be a, a snow vehicle that would cross heavy deep snow that uh, you know either loose or well packed snow yep. um the idea was that you know they could haul logs with it they could uh, do pretty much anything that you could do on a farm in the summertime with this thing in the winter on skis or on sleds sure um so if you're hauling log- like the, the video that i'm i'm mentioning here mm-hmm. um, if you search for that term that fordson snow machine you'll find this video it's a 10 minute video well worth the time of watching it's a silent film um i think you know you'll find versions out there that people have put you know bad music too but um it's really it's a silent film you know with the slates in between that tells you what they're doing next a demonstration yeah. of this thing right and uh, you'll see that it, it's a tractor it's a fordson tractor from you know the early 1920s um and also a chevrolet automobile from the 1920s that they've they've applied this drive system to and you won't believe how well this thing handles snow um you know one of the demonstrations the guy is driving over what looks like you know inch deep snow or something yeah, like that yeah. i mean maybe a little deeper uh real snowy environment a couple inches a couple inches maybe he hops off the back of it he has a rake in his hand like a garden rake and he plunges the handle of the garden rake down and this the snow is what four feet deep five yeah, feet deep about, yeah but the tractor remains right on top of the snow i just and it's heavy it's a heavy tractor it is it's a big heavy tractor and we're talking about a again this is a fordson tractor this is a an originally like one of those big old steel wheel tractors if you can mm-hmm. picture those from the uh the state you know state fair or something that you may have seen um they were uh i, I can tell you a little bit about the yeah tell if you me. want yeah um really this is who you might think henry ford hmm. ford and sons it was shortened to fordson um, because in 1907, I think Henry was trying to attempt to build tractors and it was unsuccessful. Uh, it just wasn't working out for him for whatever reason. But his idea was that he wanted to make an affordable tractor for the masses, just like he wanted with the Model T, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he finally, in about 1915, after, you know, all the, you know, I guess it'd be about a decade of, of trial and error, yeah. he had something like 50 tractor prototypes in between that period, like between 1907 wow. and 1915. Um, and by 1917, he came out with the Ford, or Fordson Model F. And the Model F was, uh, um, I think he sold about, they say three quarters of a million Fordson Model F tractors were sold. Uh, between 1917 and 1928, which was right around when the Model A came out. 
So at the same time he's building the Model T, he's building this Fordson tractor. And, uh, you know, the, of course, mass produce, you know how many Model Ts there were, 15 million. Yeah, million. Yeah, he's selling tractors roughly at about the same proportional rate, you know, where he's selling <laughs> three quarters of a million tractors is a lot. That's, yeah. that's more than any other one line of tractor. I'm, I'll screw this up, but it's, it's like any more than one line of tractor has ever sold before or since. Set the record. Set the record. And this is all the way back in, you know, the early 1900s, 1917 to 1928. Still hasn't been broken? I don't believe it has, no. Ooh, no, because this was such a popular model. Everybody needed a tractor at the time because it was an, yeah. you know, agricultural society. Sure. Um, so anyways, there, there were and, – oh, and for a while they were produced in Ireland. Um, you know, they were they – were, I guess that was one of the – one location, Southern Ireland, Ireland, Cork, Ireland. That's weird. Um, yeah, strange. But um, – but they didn't have screws. Well, they didn't have screws. No, this was just a tractor. Mm-hmm. And they, they used this uh, this company that did this, this Armistead Snow Motors Company. Yes. You just happened to use the Fordson tractor for their concept vehicle uh, mm-hmm. to show that this could be done. So, I mean, really, the only way to really get a good grasp of this thing is to go and take a look at it online, mm-hmm. look, at, look at the video. And if you want to see one of these things in person, there's still a few of them around. Um, the, these screw type vehicles and they're in museums. One that I happened to see on display that had been refinished was at the Hayes Antique Truck Museum in Woodland, California. Uh, so that's just one example, but there are a few rusting examples that are out in fields, you know, here and there. Collectors have them, of course, but, mm-hmm. um, so far I haven't seen many that have been restored. There's actually, uh, there's a little bit of recent news with this because they, since they do have a longer history, they are specialized vehicles, mm-hmm. but they they do have uses. They're they're not that great on the pavement. They're actually really I really can imagine bad. Yeah, because there's very little surface on that, and it's metal, right? right. And its whole thing is to is to be able to uh, approach the ground in a different way to now, get a different hold on it. I did see this one in that video. You'll see it um, on grass. Tall grass, like in, okay. a, in a farmer's field, and it can it can handle different types of terrain as far as uh, you know hills, mm-hmm. but um, it it operated in much the same way on the grass as it did on the snow. Better mm-hmm. in the snow, but um, it's still capable, but not on concrete. I didn't see it on that. Yeah, I from what I hear, that's not what it's intended for. Mm-hmm. Let me let me tell you, well, what, it would just destroy it. It would pull it up, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Because some of these machines have been designed to actually break roots of trees as they're driving over them in, or I guess propelling over them. Oh, they're creating trails. Yes. Okay. Uh, trailblazers, quite literally. Oh. Uh, so there's this invention I want to tell you about called the amphirole. M, like amphibian, amphirole. Mm-hmm. Uh, around 1960, um, a guy named Debacher, Debaker, I'm mispronouncing it. He was Dutch. Um, or he's, yeah, he's in Holland. He was, uh, you know, they've got a lot of canals, right? Yeah. And for a long time, depending on the tide, certain places would be underwater, certain places would be habitable or not habitable. This guy loved to fish. That was his bag. The thing was, his favorite fishing spot was in a really inconvenient location because when it was low tide, uh, there was just clay at the bottom. And so it was really tough to walk on there. When it was high tide, you could fish, which meant that if you were, you know, Joe Schmo in a boat and boots, that you had to uh, come in at high tide, grab all the fish you could, and then leave before you got stranded in the Limited mud. time. Yes, sir. Limited, limited time offer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so he invented this, he invented this, uh, 
thing that is essentially a screw driven vehicle. Um, it's got like, it's got the two, uh, pontoons kind yeah, of. Yeah. Yeah. And they actually are floats. They have to be. Oh, this, sure. Since it's a fierce vehicle, but it still has the, uh, it still has the corkscrew design and, uh, he can alter the angle of the floats. Yeah. Alter, alter the angle and, uh, he could go, through the clay, you could also do like sand and mud. Oh, sand! You know what? That's that's a good point because I was wondering about sand. Yeah, it can cross sand, so any any loose granular type surface it can cover. I haven't seen the video, but or I haven't seen a video, but I hear that they can handle sand pretty well, mm-hmm. um, which makes me think they could handle gravel. And what's cool is this thing can float too, so you can drive this through the uh, through the water. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I wouldn't think it'd be terribly fast. No, no, no I'm, probably I'm not. Sure but, it's not. Uh, yeah. but at least you can move forward, backwards, sideways, any way you need. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm, interesting. It used to have not. It used used to have uh, a lack of power, so it actually probably was very slow. Oh, I see. Um, but they replaced the engines and use rotary engines now. Oh, oddly no, enough. no kidding. Yeah. So no, everybody okay. wonders what that is. Yeah. Hey, download our podcast. Rotary engines, that's right. And uh, the uh, RX-7 yeah. engines, right? Mm-hmm. And give us five stars <laughs> if you're feeling charitable. We we sure do love the attention. Oh, Ben, why are you begging? Uh, am I? <laughs> no, no, I'm just I thought, kidding. <laughs> I, I thought it was, in my head I was like, you're schmoozing. Leave dude. that to me. I'll beg. All right. All right. I'll schmooze you. Please, beg. please. So, and then also the uh, the Ice Challenger, which is a British exploration, um, a British expedition, I guess, uh, took a tracked craft which would be you know like snowmobile with a tread yeah um and they replaced it with these screw driven wait things. a snowmobile you're talking about a small vehicle or you're talking about it, a big it was vehicle, a, like it was a, a a transport type vehicle yeah they called it the snowbird six. Oh, cool um We've talked about those snow vehicles before. Those yeah. are incredible machines now that they, so they've had them. some of these in huge transport vehicles that are screw driven Right? Uh, yeah, because they can't do long distances. Oh, okay. That's another, that's another con. Oh, I see. So pro, you can go almost anywhere in the wilderness. Con, not, not very far. Hmm. Okay. So they, apparently they, they liked that it could be pretty much amphibious. Um, but the distance was, it was a huge problem. Well, so also the, um, the Russian military. Has been big into this thing too. Oh, this is my favorite. Yeah, part. this is one that you can search again online. You can mm-hmm. find this because it's one of the related videos. As a matter of fact, that's how I found it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just going to say Zil. It's Z I L. Yeah, it's a it's a military manufacturing uh, uh, center, I guess, or, yeah. or a group that uh, builds vehicles for the Russian military, or did built um, a, built a lot. Too. Yeah, built a lot. I mean, we're talking trucks, tracked vehicles, mm-hmm. and this screwed vehicle, which is screw drive vehicle, which is uh, the Zill 2906. And uh, you can search for that online. But this is really just a bigger, badder version of mm-hmm. what we saw in the Fordson video. Um, or Well, you know, when they put it on the Chevrolet auto body. Yeah. This is like a better version of that because it's a lot more stout. And it's um, it's military too, so it's got a couple key differences, Exactly. Right? Yeah, it has the uh, the front skids that are much more adept at, at climbing um, things like, well, <laughs> things at like approaching angled surfaces. Approaching, yeah, that's right. Going over trees is what I'm talking about. Ah, Going yeah, through yeah. swamps, you know, heading yeah. down, um, you know, massive inclines, you know, with rocks and mm-hmm. um, uh, snow drifts, things like that. Where the Fordson tractor looked a bit front heavy. 
to me because yeah. the, the screws yeah. had to be tucked underneath the front of it. Um, mm-hmm. So it's real, real abrupt at the front, real tall, but it ends right there. The skids don't go out in front, the, the mm-hmm. screws rather. Um, in this in this uh, the Zill vehicle that I'm talking about, the 2906, um, it seems like it's a little better balanced. It's a little lower, a little wider, mm-hmm. um, but there, there are a lot of different versions of this that they made as well, and I stumbled on these too. There are smaller snowmobile type vehicles that they made where there are two, these look terribly dangerous by the way. <laughs> okay. you, you sit, you can imagine how close these screws are to you. Yeah. And they're not covered. What? They're not covered. They're open on top. So it seems like if your arm were to, you know, come out of the vehicle, let's say you go over a, a particularly rough snow drift or whatever, mm. and you hit a fence. Um, your, it looks like your hand's gonna go right into the screw of this thing. Or your leg, you know, whatever. Yeah. You, you know, loose, uh, you know, Cold weather gear might get oh, tangled no, up in yeah. this thing, I would think. Sure. But uh, they do look really cool. So just imagine a, a snowmobile with these two small screws in the back, and then it has the skids in the front like a normal snowmobile would have. But um, there were a variety of these. I don't know if they were ever produced or just uh, you know concepts that were drawn mm-hmm. out, whatever. Um, one that might surprise you, um, there was a vehicle, and I wrote this down. Give me a second here. There was a vehicle that was made by Chrysler in 1964. That was tested at the Chelsea Proving Grounds in Chelsea, Michigan. And I found this on allpar.com, which is that site that you can go to for anything mm-hmm. Chrysler, Mopar, anything like that, right? Um, it's called the Chrysler Marsh Screw Amphibian Vehicle. And wow. it was around 1964. And you can see, you know, still images of this thing. I don't know if any video exists or not. I'm sure it's somewhere. But um, yeah. uh, the, this amphibious type vehicle that Chrysler was testing in Michigan in the 1960s, and I think there were a lot of companies that really thought this may be a way to go um, for you know all-terrain type mm. vehicles, amphibious vehicles with military applications. Yeah, um, it was it, it's really not a bad idea. It's a good design. If you watch this thing in action, you can understand why it has incredible benefits over mm-hmm. any other vehicle in the snow. Um, yeah. Tracked vehicles included. You may think that, you know, like a tank can get over anything, but the problem with tanks is they tend to dig down. Yeah. And you'll find that these, these screw vehicles, they just float on top. In fact, I, you look at the path that's left by it, it's just really a, a couple of diagonal shaped lines that, yeah, that just appear in like the snow. Slash marks. Yeah, you don't even see tracks from this thing other, you know, not, not deep treads to go through mm-hmm. like you would have find out with a car tread or something. Yeah. Um, or the tracks rather. It's, it's more like just, uh, just grooves that are cut into it very shallow. And you're talking about a heavy, heavy vehicle that just crossed over the snowdrift, but uh, there's there's not much evidence of it. Yeah, it's so it's so strange because it's really the distribution of weight that I think is one of the brilliant parts. Yeah, and you know, of course, you know, military applications. We talked about this. Yeah. Uh, there was a vehicle called the Weasel uh, that was <laughs> a um, in, in, used in World War II. Was it uh, was it a U.S. vehicle? It was a U.S. vehicle. Okay, yeah, it's a U.S. vehicle um, called the Weasel, and it was a it was a concept again though. But this gave rise to what we know as the M29 Weasel, which was a tank like vehicle yeah. with treads. Yeah, and uh, there are a lot of collectors that still use the, these uh, M29 or collect these M29 Weasels, and this just is those. Weird. Well, yeah, just those. I mean, well, some people have. Big collections, but this is, you know, one, one area that they like to collect because these are popular vehicles, I guess. It was made by the Studebaker company. Um, Weird. Yeah, Studebaker made the Weasels, the M- M29 Weasels. So, um, it was really, I, I guess the, the Weasel was a, a snow vehicle that could also float. And, um, they ended up making these things with tank treads and, and widely popular. You see them in, uh, parades and things like that now. But, uh, another kind of cool vehicle. I want so, one. Well, you know, if you want one, there's a version you can get for fifty bucks. Are you serious? Fifty bucks. Can I? Is it? Is it a scale model? 
It is. Oh. Yeah, but it's a it's a um, you know the the uh, RC model yeah. Tyco. Yeah. Um, they make something called a terrain twister. And if you want to see a modern version of this, there's something called a terrain twister that is, it's, it's a vehicle that you can drive on snow, sand. You can drive it on concrete though. That's the, that's the difference with it's this one. It's probably light, light enough. It's very light. Yeah. That's and probably the, part of it. And it's, it's rubberized versus being steel, metal. Yeah. Like, yeah, it doesn't have to be steel and stand up to really everything like, uh, mm. you know, the, the true military vehicles do. But, um, this is something you could drive right into the water. It's really a cool toy. I mean, that it's like good. a it's like a boat land vehicle, and I've seen kids, you know, get in them on Christmas Day. They drive them on the snow, um, you know, use it in the springtime, drive it into the pond or whatever. It's are kinda, you, Scott, are you trying to tell me what you want for Christmas? Uh, maybe. Okay. Maybe, yeah, it well, looks uh, it looks like a fun toy. Act surprised. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, at least I always it, peek, anyways. Yeah, yeah. Really? No, nah, no, not really. But I, I can. Told you to stop going I have an uncanny stuff. ability to pick up a gift, shake it, and decide what it is. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. We should hang out. Ruined a lot of Christmases that way when I was a kid. I want you to help me ruin people's Christmas, Scott. <laughs> Let's grinch it up. <laughs> Sounds good. But that's about all I have really yeah. on these things. But screwdrive vehicles are really – they've got a long history. Mm-hmm. They're still around. People are still kind of playing around with these, and collectors are definitely in pursuit of them. Yeah. Um, you'll find stuff like this on Hemmings, um, Hemmings Motor News. You'll find blogs about this thing, You know, collectors, uh, people that have spotted – one that's abandoned somewhere in a field or in a museum somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's they're still out there, and it's, uh, it's something worth looking into. Definitely, because the thing that still surprises me the most, despite my literal inability to understand how they could possibly work, you know, I still don't get it either. I, I guess it doesn't matter if we get it if it works. Simple machines. I've read and reread how it works and when i look at it it just looks unreasonable it does it, it does not look real when it when it doesn't it looks faked it does the the original film the 19 you know 20s film looks faked somehow but it is real well instead of you know what instead of ruining people's christmas um and buy or buying one of these right away let me take a break and think about it in the meantime let's do some listener mail All right, Scott, so John writes in, and he is going to set us and the listeners uh, straight, actually, on uh, some stuff about submarines. Okay, fair enough. Um, Now, you know, before we had had uh, someone send in some listener mail that named several other things about submarines. John has a a few of these, he says, are rumors. So this is a counterpoint to the point that we made before. Point, counterpoint. Got it. Between listeners. Yes. Okay. So we're not we're not in this. We're just giving <laughs> I, I'm distancing myself from this. I could tell, man. I could, <laughs> me too. I'm just reading it though. Okay. Uh, hello, fellas. I'm here to put some rumors to bed. I was enlisted in the Navy for six years as a nuclear reactor mechanical operator, stationed on the USS Los Angeles, the USS Greenville, during this time. Cool. I can say without a doubt, there is no maximum height requirement of five ten. In fact, my best friend is six five, and he was stationed on the Los Angeles with six me. five in a sub. Mm-hmm. Wow. And he says the average height that he was uh, of subs that he was around, or the average height, excuse me, of officers and subs he was around was about six feet. Hmm. No weight requirement. Uh, and he says he knew that because there were a few sailors that were kind of overweight. <laughs> that would have been me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he said that while for 40 years females were not allowed into submarines, they've recently been stationed on some. 
Oh, so wait, uh, how long? 40 years? Yeah, over 40 So there years. was a ban on females? There was a no-female thing. In subs for, for 40, 40 years. years. Okay, yeah. interesting. According to John here, um, mm-hmm. says you must be American-born to work on subs only because you have to get a secret or higher security clearance, and more so because of the technology in the reactor compartment and radio room. Uh, the nuclear payload, he says, is very safely tucked away. However... The payload could destroy much more than New York. Just one of these missiles could uh, destroy New York, and they carry more than five of them. Whoa. And uh, there's no G- GPS, which I guess makes sense because people could probably track it. Um, there are uh, a couple of other things. that The wire – he says that – yeah, he says what we do use is an inertial guidance system using gyros, gyros. Uh, and and it's a, not food, Ben. You other, I'm just hungry. <laughs> I know. And a few other things that I can't mention. Yeah. And he says, I hope this helps others out there who are hoping to get into a nuclear platform and are over five ten. All right. So thanks so much. John. Very cool. Thanks for setting us straight. That's uh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's awesome. Have you? That's yep. really good. I'm glad they. I'm yep. glad people write in with stuff like that with yep. firsthand experience because uh, otherwise. You know, we're just going on what the readers say. We, we investigate as much as we can, but mm-hmm. how are you going to know about the height restrictions and things like that in military submarines? And, and actually, and also, John, thanks so much for your service. Have you, say this oh, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. The, um, you ever read the radioactive Boy Scout? No. Might want to pick it up. Wait, that's about the kid who scrapes the watches, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. It's a very, very, uh, it's a very short book. Mm-hmm. But uh, definitely worth your time. It's called The Radioactive Boy Scout, and uh, it was happening in Michigan while I was there, so I remember reading about this in the news. I was, you know, I was uh, I was actually an Eagle Scout, and we used to talk about this guy all the time yeah, as a kid. Recently, is in the last two years, I've seen some photographs of this guy. He's been in a little bit more trouble recently. Oh, no. Yeah, there's some scary photos, like, uh, you know, police room processing type photos, uh, mugshots. Oh, no. Um face covered with sores from exposure oh man i know and if that doesn't intrigue you then uh, i don't know what will so just check it out it's a it's a fascinating story oh wow okay well let's let's try to segue out of this uh the last (laughs) the last stuff we need to talk about right yeah uh find us on facebook find us on twitter car stuff hope you enjoyed this as much nice uh, nice salvage in that one is it salvaging? I guess, yeah. I mean, I, control, I, threw you, I threw you way off, way off no, with no, the book it's recommendation. Right. It's like Scott's Book Club. Scott's Book Club and also our blog. And, of course, if you have any questions, I don't know if we have anything about the Radioactive Boy Scout on the site yet. I doubt it. I doubt it, too. But if you have any automotive questions uh, that aren't answered on the site or if you have something you'd like to hear in an upcoming episode, please send us an email at carstuff at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. Viking. 
Committed to exploring the world in comfort, journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.